Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. Today we're talking about the census. The 2020 census is happening right now. The population count will determine everything from federal funding for local communities to how many seats Florida will have in Congress. But this year's census faces challenges, from the coronavirus pandemic to how the Trump administration is carrying it out. Speaking with me via Zoom are Devira Cohn, a writer and editor at the Pew Research Center who specializes in demographics, and Mike Schneider, an Orlando-based reporter with the Associated Press who's covering the 2020 census. Welcome to both of you. Thank Thank you. you. Uh, Devira, I'll start with you. Just um, remind folks exactly what the census is and why it's so important. Sure. Well, the census is a count of everybody who's living in the United States, including, by the way, foreigners who are not tourists or business visitors, Uh, and it counts you where you're living on April 1st, which is going to be a problem this year for many people. Uh, The outcome of the census will affect politics, money, business, a whole range of, of things. It's enshrined in the Constitution as a way of determining how many seats each state gets in Congress, which is relevant for Florida, uh, that, because Florida is protected to gain some seats, and also uh, affects how districts are redrawn even down to the local level, like city councils and that sort of thing. It affects perhaps a trillion and a half dollars a year in federal funding in terms of guiding its distribution to localities and states and also just forms a basis of a lot of important research. For example, in our work uh, doing surveys, we rely on having an accurate count of all the different subgroups in the population to make sure that our survey reflects the, the makeup of the, of the population of the country. And this data, it's all gathered, as you said, it, it's representative of April 1st. The data that comes out of it, it's released over several years because it's just such a massive a set of different data and different profiles and all sorts of things. It's population, but it's all sorts of subsets of different different demographics and, and economic information and such. Not, not much on economics. Actually, the census asks only a few basic questions, and there's only one that relates to economics, which is uh, home ownership. The questions are pretty basic, and I think a lot of people mistakenly think there's a lot more on there. You know, they ask you um, how many people are living in your household. They ask uh, for everyone who is, uh, what, what your gender is, your age, are you Hispanic or not, your, your race, um, what relationship everyone else has in the household to the person who fills out the form, and then, as I mentioned, is this home owned or rented? Uh, Mike, the census happens every 10 years. Obviously, the pandemic had a big impact on uh, how the 2020 count is being carried out. What else is different? This is the first census in which um, most people have the opportunity to answer the questions online. And so that seems to have been somewhat successful because uh, a large portion of the respondents have chosen to do it online as opposed to uh, sending in their questionnaires by mail or by phone. But what else was different is, you know, obviously the pandemic seems to have been like everything else in the world uh, has been affected by the pandemic. 
but the 2020 census has had a couple of other issues. One of them was something that started actually two years before the 2020 census when there was an attempt by the Trump administration to add a citizenship question that was challenged in court and then ultimately went up to the U.S. Supreme Court, which last year blocked the question from being on the uh, 2020 census. Uh, the concern by people who were challenging it was that it would suppress participation by uh, immigrants, uh, people who aren't here in the country legally, and there was a concern that it would cause a uh, big undercount and make for an inaccurate census. So there is no citizenship question on the 2020 census, but that issue has resurfaced in different ways. And in the, the fact that uh, after the Trump administration uh, lost its battle to get the question on the census, the Trump administration issued in order that uh, citizenship data would be gathered through administrative records, either federal or state records. And then last month, the Trump administration issued another order that uh, asked the Census Bureau when processing figures for uh, apportionment, which is the process of redrawing congressional districts, it asked that people who are in the country illegally not be in those numbers that will be used for redrawing congressional districts. So those, the pandemic and then this whole question of citizenship have been the two big uh, elements of the 2020 census. Devera, how are those factors, uh, the citizenship questions and, and limitations and also carrying out the count in pandemic, how is that making it difficult to get an accurate count for the 2020 census? Well, first, let me cite some research that we've done. We've taken three surveys this year of uh, people and asked them what they knew about the census and whether they intended to respond. And we found uh, in surveys taken right before the census got underway that the vast majority of people did not know that there was not a citizenship question on the census. Uh, less than one in five knew that there wasn't a citizenship question. The rest either thought there was or weren't sure. And some of the advocacy groups trying to reach out to immigrants and persuade them that the census is indeed safe uh, to take uh, are concerned that that might lead to people thinking that it's not safe to take. So um, that that's certainly one piece of research that's that's relevant. And the advocates also say that they're concerned that just all the disruptions around the census can be very difficult uh, to help you know in terms of helping them persuade people to fill it out. There were a lot of events that were scheduled to uh, try to persuade people face-to-face, -face, rallies, parades, marches, even um, kind of neighborhood events uh, where so-called trusted voices, local groups that work with immigrants, communities of color, um, uh, homeless, and so forth, might try to persuade people, you know, fill out your census form now, try to do it early, here's why it's important, and that kind of thing. All those events either went online or were canceled. And so there's been a real disruption to the kind of campaign that the Census Bureau says is really necessary to reach these groups that have been traditionally hard to count. Mike, how has that affected the count in Florida? You know, we have a lot of people here. We have a, we have a very transient population in, in Florida. We also have many folks who uh, English is not their first language. So adding on top of that, the pandemic and canceling some of these in-person events, how has that affected the, the ability for the census to, uh, to do its job here in, uh, in Florida? Yeah, well, Florida is trailing the national response rate. Right now, it's more than 60%, and the national response rate is more or less 63%. 
And you see the low response rate in um, primarily rural and agricultural areas. Uh, it seems the lowest response rates are um, kind of west of Lake Okeechobee and then also kind of in uh, the area around Apalachicola, sort of, uh, you know, the arm, armpit of uh, Florida. And so, you know, these are areas that um, are heavily agricultural. They also have large um, migrant farm worker communities. So um, and those are traditionally very hard communities to reach. Also, you know, those are also very uh, agricultural based or in, in rural areas. Um, one of the problems that the census had uh, with the disruptions was that in in a lot of rural areas, what they do is they before they send out the door knockers, uh, which usually occurs late in the process, they will send census workers out to drop off paper forms to these homes in rural areas. And um, in the springtime, that that process was disrupted because of the pandemic, and they were only um, able to distribute these paper census forms to these rural areas much later than they had anticipated. And if you look at a map of the United States, um, you can see that the states that are trailing the most tend to uh, have the most households where these paper forms should have been dropped off in the springtime. What, uh, Devera? One of the other issues has been all the people who have moved due to the pandemic, and of course, one of, one big group is college students. And even in a normal year, people can't figure out where college students should be counted, or often they can't. The correct answer is college students should be counted where they normally live and sleep on April 1, which is to say in their college housing, so either in their dormitory or off-campus housing near campus not at their parents' homes unless they normally live at their parents' homes while they're going to college. Well, a lot of dorms emptied out because of COVID and the college students scattered to the four winds and the Bureau is now you know, trying to catch up with that. They, they feel like they're able to work with the institutions to count the students who would have been in dormitories, but there's a lot of concern that in college towns where there are lots of students living off campus, those students won't be counted in the correct spot and uh, those towns could miss out on, on federal funding or other, other benefits of having a good census. And then there's one other kind of, it, it's a little oddity of this census. Normally, people who are affluent are the easiest to count. But in places like California and New York, uh, some of the get out the count folks are reporting that well-off neighborhoods um, have had a lot of people move out to uh, maybe vacation homes or whatever, and they're not around to take the census, and response rates are low in some of these affluent parts of upper Manhattan and Malibu and some of the uh, well-off neighborhoods in San Francisco. Mike, what are some of the, the campaigns that are that are happening here in Florida? You talked a little bit about this, to, to get everyone to respond to the census. I've seen some states that have uh, big coordinated campaigns does Florida have something like that, or are they leaving it up more to uh, to local governments to do that? Most states have what are called complete count committees, and they're statewide complete count committees. Florida was one of the very last states um, to actually put one together, and they only did it at the very beginning of the year, either the very beginning of the year or late last year, when uh, this you know the census started in March, and so there there wasn't a whole lot of time for the statewide committee to actually uh, get going and do anything. 
Um, but at the local level, you know, there's been a lot of activities in Florida with uh, various counties and various cities having their own um, complete count committees. As Dee said, the plans for these complete count committees were disrupted. They plan to have festivals. They plan to be at neighborhood block parties. They, they plan to try and saturate the area with information, but these in-person uh, get-out-and-count events had to be canceled. You're listening to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. We're talking about the 2020 census with Devira Cohn of the Pew Research Center and Mike Schneider of the Associated Press. We'll take a short break here and resume our conversation in just a moment. This is Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. My guests today are Devira Cohn of the Pew Research Center and Mike Schneider of the Associated Press. And we're talking about the 2020 census. We talked some a lot about the uh, changes the Trump administration has made to the census. One of the issues that's come up fairly recently is uh, there's a plan now to effectively shut down the count about a month early. Devira, what's the the rationale behind that, and what kind of effect would that have on getting an accurate count? So the the basics are that originally census count was going to stop in early July, um, but of course the pandemic affected that. So the bureau extended the deadline to the end of October and said that it would ask Congress to extend the deadlines for publishing the first numbers out of the census, and effectively said said that we wouldn't be able to produce all this information on time to meet our legal deadlines unless we get an extension. So they didn't, they, the House voted to extend, uh, the, the House led by Democrats. Uh, the Senate has, which is led by Republicans, has not voted to extend that deadline. And uh, the Census Bureau, which is under the, the Commerce Department, has said, well, we're going to just end it uh, earlier, a month earlier, at the end of September because we want to make that legal deadline. So that's the, the rationale they've more or less given. Some of the advocates and interest groups are concerned that this won't leave enough time to do an adequate count and also process and edit the data as it needs to be edited uh, to remove duplications, for example, or fill in missing information from people who don't respond to get a, a good accurate count. And they're issuing pretty strong warnings about that and have added those warnings to their lawsuits uh, challenging the Trump administration on its conduct of the census. Mike, what's been the reaction here in Florida to uh, to ending the count early? Florida stands to gain anywhere from one to two uh, new congressional seats. And if there's an undercount in Florida, Florida's not going to get those seats. So there is a lot at stake uh, Devira, if there is an undercount, is there any way to, to fix that? Is there a way that you could, I don't want to say do over, but have like some kind of pro forma census where you can try to fix the, the inaccuracies with the with that count? Well, that's not clear. There There is some talk among some people of oh, having a second census, but it's not that easy. I mean, really, you, years are spent planning this this thing. Uh, the, the first set of numbers that come out about uh, reapportioning the seats in the House of Representatives have to be based on what's called an actual enumeration, that is, you know, a, the account of people without any additional adjustments. 
the Supreme Court has left the door open to letting um, numbers be um, adjusted using statistical techniques for other purposes. So, for example, distributing money. And there's some talk that maybe that could happen. Uh, the Census Bureau, it, it should be said, will be doing its own research to gauge the extent of the undercount. So within a year or two, we should know what uh, what amount they've undercounted or overcounted certain groups, and that may help guide what remedies would be undertaken. You talked a little bit about the apportionment process where states are awarded or may, they might lose uh, congressional seats based on their population. What are the what are the factors that that that, that drive that? What are what's kind of the metric for figuring out which states get seats and which states lose them? Well, it's a complicated formula, but it, it basically relies on the fact that the number of, of seats in the House is capped at 435 and has been since 1910. So even if every state is growing, the state that's growing faster will get the seats over the state that's growing more slowly uh, after each state gets one seat, because every state does get that minimum. Um, the so the states with the most rapid population growth, which happen to be generally those in the South and West, states such as Texas and Florida, are projected to gain seats when population change is taken into account. And states where, uh, well, the climate may be colder or uh, those states are more established uh, are projected to lose seats based on population change. We've done some additional analysis based on what would happen if the Trump administration's uh, idea of excluding unauthorized immigrants from the apportionment count is, is uh, allowed to go ahead. And what we've projected, because we, we do our own estimates of un, unauthorized immigrants on, on the state level, what we've projected is that Florida, Texas, and California would each lose a seat that they would otherwise be entitled to get because of population change. And those, those seats would go to three other states. So um, instead of getting um, three seats, I think Texas would get two, that sort of thing. Um, again, we don't know whether that will happen because it has been challenged in court. And chances are that no matter what the final divvying up of the seats are, it will end up in court. And uh, there's been some very interesting uh, court cases over the years that have gone up to the Supreme Court where you have states duking it out for the last uh, the last seat in Congress. So. And it'll be happening at a time when uh, when there will be elections happening and the balance of power in terms of state legislatures, which in many states uh, determine the congressional seats, that will uh, that'll be a factor as well. What you said reminded me, um, on top of all of the problems with the pandemic and with the question over citizenship, a lot of the problems for the census has come from this constantly changing schedule. I mean, it has been so confusing, not only for the U.S. Census Bureau and for census takers who are currently out uh, right now knocking on doors, but also for state legislatures who at first thought they weren't going to be getting their numbers for redrawing their districts until later next year. Um, and, you know, and they were likely going to have to pass bills in their legislature changing the schedule. Uh, now that the census looks like uh, the census bureau looks like it's going to have its numbers on the original schedule, they're <laughs> they're scrambling again to uh, uh, you know to figure out uh, what their process is going to be for redrawing their their district. So I think just this constant flux in the schedule has also caused a lot of concern and problems. 
Devira, uh, Mike mentioned the, the the census takers, the enumerators, the people that the census hires every 10 years. I remember in the 2010 census, I and mean, that happened in the middle of a recession, and the census hiring was enough to, to make a dent in the unemployment rate. Here we are again in 2020, we're in the middle of an economic crisis. Um, has the Census Bureau done enough hiring, keeping in mind there's also a pandemic, um, that it would uh, it would have any kind of effect on uh, on the economy or the uh, the unemployment rate the way it did ten years ago. I think the in general it has a minor temporary effect on on unemployment, um, and in terms of affecting the the quality of the census, the Census Bureau was quite concerned being in a low unemployment environment we were in earlier this year that it would be able to hire uh, enough people and also people of of good quality, the, the ones based in the neighborhoods and who were knowledgeable about the process and so forth. There's a little bit less concern about that since the, there are so many unemployed people, although there have been reports uh, of some folks not you know, being hired and then saying, well, I don't really want to go out there even if they're giving me a mask and ordering me to stand six feet away. And what have we heard from census takers in terms of how they're feeling about the safety of what they're doing? You know, do they have PPE? Can they stay socially distant and talk to people? What what what, what do we know about that? Um, I think that's a real concern. I've talked to census workers who were all ready to go but didn't change their mind uh, and decided not to become a census taker because of the pandemic. Um, I talked to a couple census takers this week who are out in the field. Um, a lot of them aren't happy with the PPE. Uh, they say that it's this kind of a thin mask made. This one lady I talked to in the San Francisco area, she says uh, her, her mask was made by uh, the company that makes Hanes underwear. And she says that uh, the mask, you know, is basically what you would <laughs> expect if um, a mask was made out of Hanes underwear. And um, they, they've been given some um, hand sanitizer that was made by a distillery in Oklahoma and smells of bourbon. Uh, but the, the real concern, though, is the pandemic is a concern, even with the census takers I've talked to who are actually out doing the job. One of the things about being a census taker is um, it, it's almost like a sales job. You have to persuade people to want to give up this information. Uh, and part of that is establishing a rapport, uh, making the person who you're asking questions of comfortable. And they say it's very difficult to do that when you have a mask on. And when you're forced to uh, be at least six feet apart, one of the census takers I was talking to yesterday, uh, she was saying that um, she, she didn't really have much success, you know, beyond the concerns of the pandemic. But there's also a lot of distrust of the government. Um, she was she was in her neighborhood. She knocked on doors uh, in, that included some some people who she knew uh, just from the neighborhood. And while these people were willing to, you know, give her neighborhood gossip. When it came time to asking questions uh, about their household, they didn't want to give the information. Despite um, everything else, uh, I think that's a, a big concern also, just general distrust uh, of the government and people asking, or, and also fear of privacy, uh, people asking you these questions about your household. Uh, Devere, your research says that uh, only four in 10 non-participants would answer the door for a census taker. Yeah, sorry, that's it was the other way around actually. Four in 10 say they wouldn't answer the door for a census taker, six in 10 would among the non-participants that we interviewed, this was back in June. So there is concern out there. We couldn't, we didn't, weren't able to follow up and say, well, are you concerned about privacy? Are you concerned about the pandemic and so forth? But we do know that um, there are 
people who don't trust government, people who uh, are concerned about privacy, even though your census responses are private for 72 years and census employees can go to jail if, uh, or be fined if they disclose information about any individual. Is there any misinformation about the census that's circulating maybe on social media or elsewhere or misconceptions about it that are that's uh, hindering participation? So early on in the in the pandemic, there was a false rumor out there that that your stimulus payment would be linked to your participation in the census. And that I think they were able to counter that. But interestingly, I haven't heard of a lot of misinformation. There was a lot of concern about that and and groups that that are specialists in this topic really geared up for what they thought would be a pretty uh, possibly dangerous campaign of misinformation. But uh, for some reason or another, it has not happened to my knowledge. Indeed, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think uh, um, all, a lot of the top social media companies uh, made an effort and put out statements saying that they were going to do everything they can to, uh, you know, stop any kind of misleading information that uh, was posted uh, on their social media. That's right. We got a question from a, from a listener, Scott Nolan. He wants to know, um, you know this is, since this is happening in a pretty historic time, um, Scott asks, what impact will this year's census have on what future generations will know about life in 2020? Vera? Wow. Well, one thing to keep in mind is the census is a treasure trove for genealogists. Uh, people can look back at census forms from earlier years and find out stuff about their families, and many do use it to help build family trees or research history. As I said, um, census information is private for, seven, for 72 years, so we've now, we can look back at the 1940 census, but we won't have the 1950 census for another couple of years. And this census, um, if my math is right, won't be out until 2092 or so. So in that sense, it, it allows on an individual level people to have a great look back at um, their, their family situations, um, which uh, giving them information they might not otherwise have had. In terms of the historic sweep of change that we're seeing, certainly we're expecting that this census will show a lot of trends that, that we've seen happening over the decade, assuming it's a good count, and that's an important qualifier. You know, we expect that, uh, again, based on what we know so far about population trends, that this will be the slowest growth since the 1930s in overall population, that we'll see a wide dispersion of racial and ethnic groups, and certainly growth in communities of color, but that the white population will either be stable or perhaps declining a bit, uh, growth in the older populations, but the child populations will be stable or declining a bit. It's possible that we might see um, the growth in the number of households slowing because households are getting bigger as people move in with family increasingly. So there are a lot of really kind of cool things that the census may be telling us about ourselves that we think are happening, but the census should be giving us a more precise look at. And then, of course, way down to the local and neighborhood level, you'll be able to track what's going on in your own area. Mike, anything kind of, you want to add there? I was going to say, kind of piggybacking off that, I have wondered a couple times over the past couple of months um, whether it would have made a difference if um, the reference date had been, say, September 1st or October 1st instead of uh, April 1st, uh, given all of the uh, events that have happened this year and this summer. So, uh, but uh, that's more of a fancy than anything. So. 
Well, uh, Mike Schneider from the Associated Press and Vera Cohn from the Pew Research Center, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Today's show was produced by Denora Prevost. And if you missed part of the conversation or want to listen again, you can find it at WUSFnews.org. I'm Bradley George. Thanks for listening to Florida Matters. and hope you'll join us again next week.